DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by John Wilner from the San Jose Mercury News, ready to talk all things Pac-12 as Media Day stares down upon us. And, John, football is such a year-round thing now. I'm curious, you know, the Pac-12 Media Days isn't really hitting restart. Don't we think a lot of things we thought six months ago? Well, you know, they're going to be – there's a few big issues that they've got to address or – should address one of them is the future of the championship game we've been talking about that for since december uh when the uh, vegas when the vegas when the vegas stadium is done we move it there i believe so i don't know that they really have got a another good option they could take it to the new ram stadium in uh in hollywood park but do they want to go to L.A. for the championship game? I think that they'd end up with some of the same problems they've got in the Bay Area in terms of local enthusiasm and, and fans not necessarily want to go from out of town. Vegas, as we've seen with the, the men's basketball tournament, you know, Vegas is a good destination for the conference. And uh, I think that that's, to me, that's the clear favorite. They could go back to the home host model, which they did the first uh, – couple years where the you know team with the best record hosts the game but there's there's issues with that too uh, to me vegas is is uh the best uh, of all worlds for the for the pac-12 and, and it provides you know a kind of a, a big stage for that for that event really just like it does for the men's basketball and i think we'll also uh good chance we're also going to hear larry scott address the uh, officiating review you know, they hired that external company, Sibson, to come in and do a thorough audit of the football officiating process, including the instant replay. And they should have the results in by now of this of the, the Sibson Group's um, investigation. And I, they're not going to make the whole thing public, but they are going to provide a summary report. And we could very well get that from the commissioner on Wednesday. Do you think any of the stuff that we're going to hear on the field is going to be that surprising? Probably not. There might be a couple instances where a coach announces, you know, so-and-so is going to miss training camp or so-and-so has left this program. But I don't expect any of the, you know, the marquee players to be uh, affected. And it's tough because the coaches have got, what do we got? six weeks basically until the season openers they haven't seen you know they haven't had a practice since the end of spring ball they're not going to want to divulge too much they're going to talk in generalities uh i don't know that there's going to be a whole lot uh of meat so to speak everybody will be feeling good it's kind of like a recruiting day right everybody's feeling good about their recruiting class well you know late july before they've taken the field and it, and before anybody's gotten hurt they're going to be feeling good about their chances. How optimistic should Ute fans be, and how much should they be looking over at USC thinking, are you guys going to get it together? Uh, both, I think, are very uh, very appropriate perspectives for Utah fans. I think the Utes, uh, to me, they should be the favorite in the South. Uh, at the same time, if you're looking – at uh, a team that could most likely to to overtake them if everything is going right, it's USC for sure. But you know, they got a lot of the Trojans have got a lot of players back. They're changing offenses. 
but they still have got issues, the big picture issues, right? Culture and uh, schemes and discipline and mental toughness. You know, Utah's got those things and usually has those things. USC often does not. And that, you know, when you're talking about winning nine games or, you know, uh, it's basically a nine-game conference season, right? I mean, talent is not going to get you to the title alone. you got to have those other things. And Utah does. USC doesn't, at least didn't. So if the Trojans don't get their act together in those aspects, I think, I think Utah will be the South champ. In the North, it looks like a pretty fine line between Oregon and Washington. On the one hand, you've got Oregon, who's got four <laughs> offensive linemen back. They've got a uh, quarterback that the NFL is uh, staring at and drooling over, and that would normally make them an easy choice. But then in Washington, you got Chris Peterson, who just keeps winning and winning and winning. He did it at Boise State. He's got two titles now, two conference titles now at Washington. Which way do you lean when you compare those two? I'm leaning to the Ducks. I think the Ducks have got the best combination of offensive line and quarterback. Um, now, they do have a tough schedule, right? Because they've, they've got to go to Stanford and they got to go to Washington. So that is, you know, the schedule rotation is, is an important component when you're trying to project how things might unfold. I think that Stanford also should probably be considered, you know, for, and for that reason, the schedule. They get Washington and Oregon at home. And Stanford has finished first uh, in 2000 or tied for first 2011, 2013, 2015, and 2017. So uh, those three, Washington State to me, uh, less likely to win the title than the other three, but wouldn't be surprised. You know, they've, they've shown they've got uh, the, they've got the, high-end talent and also the depth to compete Mm -hmm. over the course of the season. And, you know, Mike Leach is doing a terrific job. So uh, I think any of those four, but if I were going to pick one, it would be Oregon. Is the Pac-12 going to win big intersectional games? And should the Pac-12 be playing big intersectional games, given they already have a nine-team conference schedule? I think for sure it should. you got to play one. You know, the best model for scheduling – is what they call the ABC. You play one high-level game, uh, then you play, you know, for instance, Oregon Auburn, uh, or Notre Dame, or US, um, UCLA Oklahoma, Arizona State Michigan State, that kind of opponent. Then you play a B level. So we're talking about Mountain West or Conference USA, uh, even a MAC team, I guess. And then you get your your C level, your Sun Belt or your uh, you know, FCS, ABC, that's to me the best way to do it. You, you, you need to challenge yourself for sure, but you can't overschedule. Well, Utah is underscheduled. Stanford, USC, UCLA have overscheduled. To me, Oregon's got it just about right. They got that opener against Auburn and Texas. And then they've got uh, a B and C level games, and that's to me that's just right. I think I think Utah could end up if they have a terrific season. You know, they win the South, say they're they're twelve and one, they could end up with an issue uh, getting in the playoff because of the schedule. If the teams they're competing against have all got a marquee non conference win, and Utah doesn't, that could end up keeping them out. Utah needs to upgrade its schedule. 
Do you really view Utah as a team that could go 11-1 and and end up in the middle of that debate? Uh, well, I certainly think Utah could win all three non-conference games, uh, should win all three non-conference games. And then you're talking about can they go can they go nine and uh, eight and one and and then win the uh, championship game? And I I would uh, not be surprised. I would I don't know that I'd bet on on the Utes getting through with one loss, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I think they've got a very good team, and and if you just get a couple of breaks, sure they could be in that discussion. John Wilner joining us. San Jose Mercury News covers the Pac-12 conference. Uh, you have published a lot of stuff in the offseason about the revenue coming into the Pac-12. How much of that is on the league and the commissioner to figure that out and prove it? And how much are they just doomed by geography and time zones and they're going to make less? Well, I mean, both in a way, but the geography and the time zones and the fan affinity and the stadium size and the season ticket stuff, those, those things are fixed, right? I mean, that's that's been the case for a long, long time, and it's going to continue to be the case, right? But what the conference really can control is are the things that start at the, you know, at the commissioner's level, or commissioner's office, really, the, the media deals. And uh, certainly, I think you have to put put the uh, onus on that with the uh, decisions that have been made. The Fox and ESPN deal, the three billion dollar deal, that was a good good decision, smart move. I think Larry Scott did it right there. Uh, Pac-12 Network situation certainly uh, has not gone very well, right? Uh, from a financial standpoint, you could argue that that's a failure. Pac-12 Networks. Uh, I do think it matters. You know, Rob Mullins, the athletic director at Oregon, said it best. The, the conference is falling out of range. It doesn't have to match the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big, Big 12, dollar for dollar in terms of revenue uh, from, from the conference office. But it's got to be within a reasonable range. And it's getting to the point where it is no longer in a reasonable range, which affects your ability to retain and hire coordinators and assistants, to hire head coaches, uh, to build the facilities and provide the amenities uh, that help you with recruiting, to manipulate your schedule to give you the best chance of success. And those things also carry over to men's basketball. So I do think that the revenue challenge for the Pac-12 is is significant and uh, starts largely with the conference office. Do you think there's any chance that in the next deal or that they can go back and tweak this deal and get one game every week in the 130 window somewhere on the Fox ESPN family and network so they had at least one marquee game when the rest of the country was awake and possibly paying attention? So you're talking about that 12:30 Pacific window. That yes, yes, 1:30 Mountain, 12:30 right. with ABC uh, and Keith Jackson. Yes, um, you know, I don't know that the networks, how willing the networks would be to go back and, and alter that deal. There's a lot of competition at uh, at 3:30 Eastern, four o'clock Eastern. My suggestion is that the conference drop in a few games at at noon Eastern, like actually play on Pac-12 campuses at 9 a.m. Pacific, and not very often, but a few times a year 
across the conference to get a little bit of exposure at that super early window when you're kind of going up against Minnesota versus Purdue mm-hmm. on ESPN or ESPN2. But that, that 3.30 Eastern window, pretty cluttered. Uh, I know Fox has got 1 o'clock, Big Fox has got 1 o'clock Pacific, and I'm sure we'll see some Pac-12 games on there. Uh, but ESPN, ABC, it's going to be tough uh, to get on unless it's prime time. It's tough to get on before, uh, before the nighttime windows. We're looking at football right now, but is there any hope for Pac-12 basketball? Are they going to get back on the national stage, or are they more hopelessly adrift than football? Well, um, in some ways, I think Pac-12 basketball is more hopelessly adrift, but at the same time, it's also fixable much more quickly, I think. Basketball, you know, you get one or two players, and you can get your season, your program turned around, and that can turn around a conference. Um, you know, the recruiting went very well. Uh, for a bunch of schools, Arizona, uh, Washington in particular, had had tremendous recruiting seasons. USC too. Um, they got to keep the the newcomers healthy, the guys who are coming back, and the conference did get hit pretty hard by attrition. There's no doubt about that. Uh, keep guys healthy. There needs to be some player development. The coaching needs to get better. I, to me, if you're asking what what is the biggest problem facing Pac-12 basketball, I think the coaching's not very good. Uh, and I also think that there has been um, a downturn in point guard play. If you go back and look at the conference over, say, 25, 30 years, it has produced as many good point guards as any in, in college basketball. Top 10 picks, All-Americans, you know, high-level NBA players. The last two or three years, there have been just a couple, right? And, and – uh, it used to be you could find three or four every season, and now kind of you're lucky if you can find one really. And point guard play is so important, uh, especially in in March. So point guard play, uh, coaching, um, you know, keeping the recruits healthy, making sure the returnees develop. It's hard to imagine the coverage being any worse, but at the same time, I don't know that you can be real optimistic that it's going to vault back to the top of the. Power six. Are there going to be coaching changes after all the fallout from the FBI stuff and all this, especially at Arizona, but anywhere else? Well, we'll see. It depends on what the NCAA does. I mean, I, I think based on what we know now, Sean Miller's going to keep his job at Arizona. And even if they get hit uh, with, with sanctions, he's going to keep his job uh, unless that there is some kind of direct connection to him, which we haven't seen yet. Uh, and Andy Enfield at USC, same thing. I think he's going to end up keeping his job unless he's uh, implicated directly. Uh, so the bigger question at this point is how uh, sweeping will the sanctions from the NCAA be in terms of affecting those programs' uh, postseason availability, right? Is there a chance that the NCAA's got enough on, on either or both? to ban them from the tournament, maybe. Uh, at the same time, just based on how the NCAA uh, infractions and appeal process works, we may not have any resolution until next spring because, you know, they send the notice of allegations, and then the schools have got, what, three months to respond, and then the NCAA's got two months to respond, and then there's a hearing, and then the Committee on Infractions makes this determination. It takes takes forever. Uh, 
the NCAA. And uh, we could end up going through the entire basketball season without having any resolution to the situations with Arizona and USC. I just got to say, John Wilner joining us, San Jose Mercury News. I'm just a bit of a skeptic here because I thought they had North Carolina dead to rights with cheating and academic fraud. And I thought they might get hammered the way USC got hammered in football, which I thought was a little harsh. I mean, SC stonewalled, but the original infraction was an agent who didn't have ties to SC trying to set up Reggie Bush for Reggie's NFL career. And then North Carolina totally got off the hook. And I'm looking at thinking, you, you crushed USC. What changed other than time? Have you just lost your nerve and you're not going to punish teams the way you used to? So I'm wondering if they're going to punish teams now the way they used to or if it's going to look more like North Carolina. Well, USC was excessive. To me, the most excessive uh, punishment they've ever had. And it got personal. It got uh-huh. personal with Pete Carroll, with Mike Garrett, and with uh, NCAA staff. Uh, and that's been documented by in court. Um, North Car- the thing about North Carolina, though, is that is not NCAA wheelhouse material. That is an academic fraud situation. The current basketball scandal, this is textbook cheating. Paying coaches, paying players. That is wheelhouse stuff for the NCAA and has been for many decades. The other factor to consider is that they are, in Indianapolis, they are so committed to trying to reform the sport. You know, they, they get Condoleezza Rice and her commission, and they prop them up uh, and with all these suggestions. Mark Emmert, the NCAA president, talks about reform. So they politically, they can't do nothing. They, they have to do something, and they have to be se- severe when they've got the, the ammunition. They have got to come down hard if they're going to you know, basically uh, walk the walk, because they know that if they don't walk the walk this time, it is you know, anarchy from one coast to the other in terms of cheating. So from a political standpoint, Mark Emmert's back in the corner. He's got to do something. And I think that uh, – and I don't necessarily know it will be Arizona and or USC, uh, but I would suspect Arizona's going to get hit pretty hard because they've got you know uh, their assistant coach committed a federal crime, uh, as did USC's. But they've got to do something. They can't just turn their head, and it is wheelhouse material. John Wilner writes for the San Jose Mercury News, covers all things Pac-12. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me.